Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Chapters. The issue of immigration has often dominated the news since the launch of the presidential campaign in 2015. As lawmakers debate making sweeping changes to immigration law, the incidence of anti-immigrant rhetoric has heated up. Today, we're joined by the Duran family who came to the United States in search of educational opportunity some 13 years ago. We'll hear about their experience in coming here, the impact our current environment is having on immigrants, and what it's like to be Latin American and living in the United States in 2018. All that and much more coming up next on Chapters. My name is Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, we're going to talk about immigration, and we're going to talk about it through the first-hand experience of three guests that are on the program with us live today. On via Skype from Guayaquil, Ecuador, we have Sofia Vinueza Duran. Welcome, Sofia. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. You are welcome. Thanks for being here. We also have Sofia's daughter, Pamela Duran. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And we also have my son, Mike Derrick. Mike, it's good to see you again. Good to see you too, Dad. Good to be here. uh, One of the reasons I wanted to have this show, and it's very particularly personally important to me, and I think it's an important conversation for all of us to be having, is that immigration has been in the news, and there's a lot of misperceptions and uh, rhetoric that's thrown around, and very little Uh, in-depth analysis of real personal stories. So today what I wanted to do is rather than make it a political show, I really wanted to focus on the story of the Duran family and how they view the United States, what their experience has been in coming to the United States, and what they think the future may hold. Uh, I should add that uh, Michael Derrick is uh, uh, Pamela Duran's boyfriend. He's also my son. They they reside in Washington, D.C., and um, I'm just thrilled to have him on the show. So with no further ado, let's jump right into the story. Pam, uh, you came to the United States uh, from Ecuador as a tennis star, really. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you came? Yes, of course. So I got a scholarship for the University of Richmond. And I came in 2005 when I was 18 years old. I I had no idea what the life of living in the United States. I just had the background of the movies and everything else. And so I was, but I was really excited. And the United States was gonna give me the opportunity to still play competitive tennis and get a really good education. So I thought this was the perfect place to to do that. Mm -hmm. You shared with me uh, before the show, Pam, that uh, in Ecuador, the schools are are mostly private. Is that correct? Yes. And and I'm talking about elementary as well as high school education, right? Yes, all of high school, middle school, elementary schools, they're all private. There's um, public schools, it's it's not good, and it's barely existent, the system, the, the public schools that you see here. So the majority of schools are just private, and I had the opportunity to go to a private school in Ecuador, which was a, a German school. So it was a German school. So you're a German school student. You're excelling at tennis, and, and you, you then have the opportunity to come here to a tennis school, if you will. And that was in, in Tampa, Florida? Yes. I went to a tennis academy in Tampa mm-hmm. it, it called Satterbrook, and... Um, uh, there I took, it was a boarding school as well, so I took some some classes to practice my English, improve, and also so that coaches in the U.S. were able to see my tennis. And and that was the main reason that my family decided to send me there. So there is the place that I was able to take my SATs, my TOEFL, like all the ex- requirements, mm-hmm. and the coach the coaches went to see me there and they saw the potential and they signed me for the scholarship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you got a full scholarship for tennis and you wound up where? In University of Richmond, which is Richmond, Virginia. Rich- Richmond, Virginia. So uh, what was it? What was your experience uh, when you first landed in the States? It had to have been nerve wracking. You knew some English or you knew English fairly well, you thought at the time? I thought I my English was decent. And but it wasn't uh, from what people told me it wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. It, I could defend myself, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't as strong as as as, as it is now. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was definitely it, it it was nerve wracking. It was scary. I had no idea that was. I knew I wasn't coming uh, coming back home for a while, 
and it was a change. So um, it was sad but exciting. All of, I just didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. So that was a little nerve-wracking to say the least, but you, you made it through. You, you Not only did you make it through, but you excelled. Uh, and went on to get a scholarship. Sophia, I'd like to bring you into the conversation to talk about, a little bit about uh, the experience of the kids growing up in Ecuador. What growing up in Ecuador was like? Was it comfortable? Did the kids, uh, did you view the U.S. as being a, a, a place that was necessary for the kids to go, or was it a place instead that they simply wanted to come to? Well, um, Ecuador is a, is, is a good place. The life is calm, the life is, is safe, and you can grow without any problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all the difficulties that uh, arise in all the societies, but it's, uh, it's calm, it's, it's good, it's a good place. Good place to grow up, and, and the kids were having yeah. a good experience growing up there. There is poverty in Ecuador. Oh, yeah, yeah. I say that uh, we don't represent the majority of cases. The most people that emigrate uh, goes out uh, trying to avoid the poverty, trying to get new opportunities or better opportunities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the reason because the majority of the people goes out the country. Right. But the life, the life here is is good. You have your family, you have your your friends, and um, there aren't many opportunities. There are not many opportunities to grow. And, yes. and was that the case for your children? Well, no. Right. Yeah. Because... No, it, it isn't. Because, because um, my husband and I, are we are professionals. Right. We are both engineers. Uh, we have a, a good status, if I can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we look for our kids to improve right to improve the english to get a better education to see the world from another perspective those were the reasons right and so uh sophia you would you and your husband built a business um after uh, uh formal education and and you've worked very very hard over the years you employ what over 40 people Currently, yeah. Uh, currently, we have a uh, fifty employees. F- fifty employees. So, uh, you would des- yeah. you would describe yourself maybe as, as upper middle class in in Ecuador. Would that be ac- yes. accurate? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, what I heard you say then is that you had a, a different experience than many people in Ecuador that seek to come to the United States. You were looking at this as an opportunity, simply another opportunity to add to Pamela's education. Yes. Yes. That was the the most important reason. Right, right. To to we, we never we never seek a, uh, I never seek as a final destination to emigrate to USA. I I, I did I did, didn't think well she has to go to USA. No, I think she she opens her mind. She improves. She goes look for more, for more than here. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a really important point and, and one that I want to highlight. And it's a big reason why I wanted to do this program. Uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, Donald J. Trump and, and his campaign and a lot of the rhetoric coming out of the White House uh, is attempting to paint the immigrant population with a very, very broad brush. And the fact of the matter is that most of the immigrant population, as borne out by the numbers, are here for reasons of, of bettering themselves, of bettering their family's lot in life, and yes, in contributing to the United States of America as good and lawful citizens. And so I think it's really important that we take a look and listen to the stories of those that are immigrating here on a case-by-case basis, because it's a very diverse uh, set of reasons as to why people come and why they want to stay. And another thing that's important to to know is that most people come here and they and they want to stay and they're not here to try to to fool the system pam you have done everything by the books uh, in this country am, am i right yes since the day i got here i've been trying being very careful to to not have anything on my record to follow every deadline to follow every signature that i need just to i just yeah 
scared also to do anything wrong, but also to try to keep doing everything by the book and not be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And you've 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 been here on student visa, you've been here on work visa, and now you're back on student visa. So uh, can you fill in the blanks about what happened to you after Richmond? Because you received your, your undergrad at Richmond and were a tennis star there, and then you had another opportunity beyond Richmond. So I after University of Richmond, I was a student visa, and I, I was a student. Then I was an assistant coach in George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and uh, through that I got a scholarship as well to do my master's degree, which I did in political management. And after that, I work. So after you're done with your school, you have one year that is called the OPT, uh, where you can work. And in that year, you either get the, the job to sponsor you or you go come go back home. Mm-hmm. And it, there were some troubles with my job, so I wouldn't, wasn't able to get my visa. But I was able to get a job at the World Bank where they have a different type of visa, which is a diplomatic visa. And now I'm back into the studying visa. Right. But all those, all those years don't count towards if I want to become a citizen at some point. I, I it's, That's a different process. Okay, and that and that, we're going to talk, talk a little bit about that later on. Uh, yeah. The important thing I wanted to highlight to people is this is somebody that is working on her third degree right now. Uh, this is somebody who has both an undergrad from Richmond, uh, has a master's from George Washington, and is now in school at American University in law school. This is somebody who has worked for the World Bank for five years, has been in Washington, D.C. for 13 years and is here entirely legally, both on on a uh, student visa as well as a work visa and back to a student visa. And importantly, what Pam, I heard you just say is that this does not give you any type of credit or does not gain you any sort of favor in terms of getting your citizenship. Correct. No. Right. right. Okay. And we're going to move on to that in a little bit. Um, I just want to remind everybody, you are listening to Chapters Radio. My name is Jim Derrick. You can find our, us on our podcast at www.chaptersradio.com. Today, we're having a conversation with Sofia Venueza Duran from Guayaquil, Ecuador. She's live on the phone with us right now, actually through Skype. We also have Pam Duran and Mike Derrick from Washington, D.C. Uh, and we are talking a little bit about immigration, and we're talking about it through the very personal experience of the Duran family. Pam, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Latin American population in the United States, how uh, immigrants may perceive uh, the Americans' perception of them, and what that impact may have on that population as a whole. So I think that the Latin American population here feels very comfortable, and they have been able to find places and communities inside big cities especially and so that helps a lot for them to come also there are a lot more opportunities here than than in their home countries where there's a lot of violence especially from Central America and I I believe that being able to find those communities and those resources help but even though they have that they the stereotypes are still prevalent and they still uh, bring the with them, people think that they were going to take their jobs, which is a very prevalent as well, and that they are have like low income and not very um, a lot of education as well. Right. Which is which is not the case at always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that I really I'm really glad you brought that up. I hear that phrase over and over and over. They're going to take our jobs. They're going to take our jobs. A lot of uh, Latin American immigrants are gainfully employed. Uh, most are. And Pam, I'm just curious as to what you think about the stereotypes about uh, Latin Americans filling all the jobs that we don't want, number one, and taking the jobs that we do want. What, what does that mean to you? I think it's, it's, uh, that's not an accurate stereotype. I believe that, um, like you said, Latin Americans and immigrants take jobs that usually American people wouldn't be want to do in the first place. And they bring a lot to the economy and they want to be able to immerse and contribute to this economy. So I wouldn't agree with the stereotypes that, that people and also a lot of them already have knowledge of, of English and they, they speak English and they just want to be 
be part of this community. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, first of all, yes, there. If you go down to the to the border, uh, down around Tijuana, down around you know California and Texas, there's a lot of uh, immigrants coming over to fill farming positions um, because that's just the nature of where they are and where they come from and the, and the desperation um, from, uh, that they're fleeing from. You're 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 not fleeing. Quite the contrary, you have a wonderful home in Ecuador. Um, you 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 don't need a farming job to get by. Heck, you're in the middle of a law degree, uh, which is your second degree, uh, and going on to a, a professional life. And you're going to do very, very well whether you're here, whether you're in Ecuador, whether you're in Germany or anywhere else. So it's an awfully broad brush that we tend to want to paint people with. No, exactly. And I, I believe, like, yeah, there are, we have different circumstances, me and other people, but all of, all of them come here with the expectation of make uh, yourself better and but also contributing to this economy and to this country in general. Mm-hmm. Pam, what would what would you say to people that say uh, get in line? Uh, look at uh, th- we have so many people here uh, undocumented. We're talking about uh, reversing DACA, which is another conversation that gets my blood boiling anyway. Um, I can't imagine being a young younger person being told that the con- only country that you've known since you've been conscious, you have to vacate. But but putting DACA aside for a minute, what do you say to people that say, hey, just get in line, will you? Get out or get in line? I think uh, I would tell them that it's not that easy. And even in my case, uh, you will hear, um, I've been here for almost 13 years and I have three degrees and I still very hard. And for anybody that is coming and is desperate as well to come here, the process is very complicated and you have to sometimes wait 20 years or depending when you come, depending on the quota. So there are a lot of intricacies that people are not aware. Right. I want to hang it. I just want to mention that quota. Thank you for bringing it up. I believe it's around 7%. And once you exceed that, then then they start moving the date out in terms of when you can come. So so depending on the country that you're immigrating from and assuming there's no natural disaster there or other, other types of things, that uh, economic or civil wars going on, which, by the way, right now there are about five countries on that list. Um, but if, you, if you're just coming in, the line, as we say, doesn't really exist. It's not a straight line, is it? It could be a 10-year wait. It could be a five-year wait. It could be a 20-year wait, right? Yes. And you suffer even with the young people in the process of, um, it's called aging out. So they might not even be able to get a visa and, and wait for 10 years and they lost their chance. Mm-hmm. So let's take a step, a real quick step back. So you came in under a uh, temporary student visa. Is that correct? Yes, I came with, uh, it's called an F1 visa, which is a student visa in 2005. Okay. And how long would that visa have been good for? It's just the duration of my studies. So okay. four years for my undergrad. Okay. So once you uh, went on to grad school, did you need to re- have that reevaluated? Yeah, you apply once again. You apply for the school and you apply for, for the visa. And I have to go back to my country to do that. And then uh, another depends of the length of your my master's was two years. So I had the, the visa for two years again. Mm-hmm. And then uh, once you go into the work world, you need to go back to your country and reapply to get back in under a work visa. Is that correct? Yeah. So it, also you could apply while you're here, but... It, the, if the process it takes longer, you have to go back until you get the visa, and that's um, most of the time that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So it, you just have limited resources to be able. First, you have to find a job, which the market could be hard, and this second, the they have to sponsor your visa, which is expensive, and sometimes a lot of companies don't know the process. Is your entry guaranteed? Are those visas guaranteed to be issued? No, 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 especially with the H-1 visa, the working visa with the quotas, you're, it's a lottery. So most of the time you won't be able to get it. I know examples of friends that got the job, went to the whole process and they still didn't get the visa and they had to go back okay. after getting jobs here. Okay. So I, I just want, you know, for someone like yourself that has established yourself in the U.S., um, you're, uh, uh, you're in a, a very serious relationship with Mike, um, you're contemplating beginning a family and your future and you love the country um you're sitting over in ecuador applying for this for this work visa there's no guarantees and and mike you know that's got to be an anxious process for you 
Yeah, I mean, even, you know, over the summer, there's, you, you know, Pam had to return to Ecuador to switch her visa status from that of a diplomatic visa when she was with the World Bank to uh, a student visa again uh, for law school. And just reentering the process, like Pam said, there's no guarantees at all. So, you know, she's sitting there and getting interviewed and, um, and you know, it, you're kind of at the mercy of, of the embassy or, or at the mercy of the process, really. It's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you're, you're not entirely sure that you're going to come back, uh, you know, with that visa. And luckily, of course she did. And, and she's enrolled in, in law school and has been able to, to do all of that. But, uh, you know, for people who, who get denied for, you know, any number of reasons, it can be extremely difficult and can can completely change the, the course of your life. Of course. Now, Pam, you are uh, currently in law school at American University. This is your first year. I'm proud to say she's doing fabulously well, <laughs> probably because I watched how hard she worked. I'm proud of her. But um, your plan is to go into uh, immigration law. Is that correct? Yes, I am looking into immigration law and human rights law, so it's a, a very nice intersection. That's a wonderful intersection. So you'll actually be on the advocating end for people that are, are less fortunate, because as I have this conversation, I have trouble going to the Registry of Motor Vehicles website, and I've lived in this country my whole life, and figuring out how to renew my driver's license. I'm trying to imagine somebody coming to this country, trying to do it, quote, the right way, which you have done, uh, having difficulty with the language, as it is the second language, uh, and trying to navigate the system. I've read immigration law. I read the whole thing. It is incredible. How do people navigate that? How Do, are, do they rely on advocates like who you hope to work for? Yes, and, and, and there's an um, increasing need for more advocates like me, more immigration lawyers, because um Immigration law is just very complex and be, like it has so many different uh, it laws. And so I feel like now more than ever, we need more immigration lawyers. And there's actually an, a niche and a need and for that uh, right now. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that your mom said that I thought was really uh, eloquent, it was that the perception in Ecuador and, and in Latin America in general is that the U.S., is a wonderful country to go to. Uh, many of those that aren't as fortunate as your family are looking for more opportunity here. Uh, and they also have the perception, and this is the critical part, that there's plenty of room for everybody. There's plenty of room for everybody. You know, we are a country of abundance. Uh, sure, we have hungry people here. We have our problems. But we are a country in general of abundance, relatively speaking. So, um, you know, it's interesting to me that, that that's the perception, yet our perception seems to be, look, you're taking our jobs, you're crowding us out, um, you know, and I, I've got the statistics here. It's it's true that the Latin American population in particular has grown from 6.6% of our total population in the 80s to close to 18% in uh, in present day. Um, but but it's just a fact. I mean, it's just the way things go. So um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that there are advocates out there for people that find themselves in a difficult position. So back to uh, Sophia. Sophia, when we were speaking uh, prior to the show, I made the correlation between your feelings about sending Pam to the U.S. was kind of like we feel about sending our kids on a study abroad. One of the things that, that you also mentioned to me is that if, if Pam at any time became uncomfortable with, with her status in the U.S. or didn't feel comfortable in the country, she's obviously welcome to go home. She's a wonderful family at home, wonderful home to go back to. Heck, you, if you have a family business at home. Yeah, well, uh, the, the problem could be for her, not for us. Right, right, <laughs> understood. She has been living there uh, 13 years and I think she's 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 been happy there. Right. And then uh, if she has to change uh, her life, it's going to be hard. So but I, I don't afraid of the future. So Pam, you've now lived in Washington D.C. for mm-hmm. over nine years, and I'm just curious as to what your experience has been as uh, as a resident of Washington D.C. My experience overall has been excellent. Mm-hmm. D.C. is a, a very very good city for for immigrants and for people that look like me. They because it's very cultural and you get people from all over the country. Um, however, it, for the past year, I think, because of all what is happening, you have felt a little different, not much, but I got my first encounter with um, somebody 
yelling at me in the middle of the a very popular area in DC that you wouldn't expect, scream at me and say, "Go back to your country!" Right to my face. Mm-hmm. And I have never experienced in my 13 years in the U.S. anything like that, and I never expected in DC. Yeah, and that and that unfortunately is a sad fact of what's going on today. Uh, you're not alone. When people say get out of our country and get in line and that type of thing, so much of that is based on really, really false assumptions. I want to point out to people that there are 3.3 million people waiting for visas right now. 3.3 million. That the wait time can be anywhere from as little as eight years to as much as 20 years to get a visa. This is not a situation where uh, people are just flooding into the country and have the opportunity to uh, apply for and gain citizenship easily. And I kind of want to go back to what Sophia said earlier. There are a lot of people out there that are fleeing very, very poor circumstances, and they see America as a land of opportunity and a land that will accept them, and importantly, as a land that has enough room for them. Is that correct, Sophia? Yeah, it is correct. Yeah. yeah I wanted to ask Sophia of her, her perception of the United States. I think it's very, very unique to get a non-citizen from, from Ecuador to provide what her perception is. Well, uh, we see USA as the as the big country, as the as the most important country in the world. In, this is USA for for Latin American people, and everybody everybody tries to get there because, as as the people from the countries from the small cities goes to the capital, the same. The people from Ecuador looks for uh, USA. If uh, some some time the people from Ecuador went to Venezuela or went to Chile because the people looks for the opportunities that they don't have in their in their in our country. Yeah, the the people wants to live better, and if you have to go out to get that, no matter the how they have to go, no matter if they have money to do that, no matter if they are going to live in a good situation, they dream always that the that in USA is going to be better than here. And what would you say we to... Can cha- we cannot change that. Right. That's just a fact of, of life. It's been that way for many, many years. Um, to kind of add emphasis to what uh, Sophia just said so eloquently, in 1980, uh, there were 14.8 million Latinos living in the United States, or 6.5% of our population. In 2015, uh, the Latino population makes up 17.6% of our total population. So that just kind of adds emphasis to what Sophia is saying. This is just a fact. Latin Americans see America as a wonderful place to be and a place that's welcoming. What else do you have in terms of your perception of of the U.S. since Pamela has been here and since your other daughter has now come here? I feel you say like the, the place where my daughters are developing. Yeah, but uh, there are so many things that I like from USA, but there are some things that I don't like. I think maybe Ecuador is a better place for a young woman or a young boy. If you are between 12 and 18, it's more safety. There is more safety. There is more familiar relationship. There is um, less drugs. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you- they. The, the, I think the the society or the for growing of offers us um, better conditions than sure. there. Sure. Uh, standards, maybe. Yeah, standards. Yeah. Yeah, but when you grow up and you are ready with your mind and with your body, then you can go out of your country. You can. You can go and fly. <laughs> Spread your wings. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, I really want to highlight that, uh, what Sophia just said. Recently, uh, our commander-in-chief basically pr- painted a lot of people with a, with a broad brush uh, while he did pick out certain countries that was only after the fact, and he called them S-hole countries. And the fact of the matter is, I want to bring Mike Derrick into the conversation. Mike, you had the great experience of going over to meet the Duran family in their home country of Ecuador. Can you describe to me as an American citizen 
citizen what it was like landing in Ecuador and experiencing the Latin American culture really in Ecuador for the first time? Sure. Well, um, first of all, I'm uh, been blessed to have the ability to speak Spanish pretty well. So um, in terms of being welcomed, I, I felt immediately welcomed by the customs agent who asked me English or Spanish. And I, I told him that uh, I would be speaking uh, Spanish. And um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And then I, I got into the country and Pam's family had made signs for me welcoming me because it was my first time meeting them, which was pretty nerve wracking. I got to meet about 50 of them at a party that followed. Uh, it was a party to send Pam's sister off to college and also to welcome me to the country. So I think in terms of uh, from a cultural standpoint, their their sense of family is extremely, extremely strong. I, I, I think um, it's incredible to to get everyone together as frequently as they do and probably more often than we do, um, which was something that I noticed right away. Um, and so, I mean, just, you know, within Pam's family, I felt immediately welcomed I, from a cultural standpoint. I, I love love the culture. You know, I love, uh, you know, seeing the country itself is it's beautiful. I mean, there, it has so much to offer right right after the party. Uh, we got on a plane and went to the Galapagos Islands, uh, and I'm very uh, grateful to have had that opportunity with with Pam's family and and got to see parts of the world that I never would see. So I felt immediately welcome. Did you feel like you're in a third world country? Uh, no, just the opposite, actually. And I think that's, that's sort of what I was getting at is that uh, uh, dispelling that notion that you know most Americans probably couldn't pick out Ecuador on a map unless it was named, let alone you know, other countries in South America. And it's such a rich place, uh, uh, both culturally and, and, you know, from a from an infrastructure standpoint, it, it's not a third. They have everything that we have. We go we go to breakfast. We go, you know, we go out to we go out to dinners. We go to, into the city. There there are all of the the things that we're afforded here uh, that they have as well. I, I would also point out that they just they might have some <laughs> some cooler places to see in some parts of the U.S. as well. So I think that's so important because I did see the pictures of Ecuador um, and I'm hoping to visit myself sometime soon. And it's a, a stunning country. But I've met many people of Latin American descent and the one common theme is warmth, is mm -hmm. hospitality, and is an extreme emphasis on family unity. And those are the elements, in my opinion, that allude back to what Sophia was talking about, which is a standard, a standard of living, particularly as it expresses itself with young people. To, to paint people with a broad brush and say they don't belong here and that they commit crime. I want to talk about crime for a minute. The research tells us that the immigrant population is much less likely to commit crime. And the fact of the matter is that as immigrant populations increase in a particular area, crime actually decreases. And these statistics bear out all the way through 2015. They've been studied for years and years. There are a couple of research firms that have done uh, studies on this. The American Immigration Council has done its uh, study all the way through 2010. And recently, Pew Research has done its studies and all bear the same results. And this flies directly in the face of what we're being told. I think it's important to look at the facts. You, uh, you know, you can't if you want to spin the facts to come up with a story that suits your political needs. It, it just isn't OK. Uh, if the inverse was true, I'd be the first to say it. But I just want to make that point, because I think what it adds to is it adds to an experience like Pamela has has had, which is go back to your country. You don't belong here. Most recently, um, you've also had other experiences, Pam and Mike, when speaking Spanish in public. Yeah, um, you know, down here in D.C., uh, uh, we were out to, to, to dinner with uh, with Pam's brother and sister-in-law who were in town from Ecuador. Um, and it's just easier for the four of us to speak Spanish. I mean, uh, beyond the fact that I, I think from a cultural standpoint, um, you know, I try to speak Spanish as much as I can with their family. Uh, just out of sheer convenience, uh, it, it's easier for us to speak together when we're out to dinner. And it was really the first time in my life as, as a, a, a white guy, an American, uh, grow, growing up uh, my entire life in the United States where I noticed a difference in the way that we were treated at dinner. And not, and not in a subtle way either. Uh, the waiter became so frustrated that uh, it was at the point where he, he, he wasn't serving us and I had to ask the manager uh, to, to put somebody else on our table. Uh, and I think as disappointing as that was, I mean, we just wanted to finish the meal. I think thinking about it in terms of uh, terms of the show today, uh, you know, in hindsight, 
I'm not sure what his his preconceived beliefs were, but just the mere fact that he couldn't understand the language and didn't have the patience, uh, especially in a city as international as Washington D.C., was was pretty troubling. And I I, I think that was one of the first times uh, um, from you know a firsthand account of being treated differently. I, I was I was you know aware of that. I, I've, I've been aware of it happening, but not not exactly from a firsthand account. Right. And and what's particularly troubling about that statement to me is that in America in 2017, again according to Pew Research, 17.6 uh, percent of our population are Latinos. That's 17.6 percent. We have 326 million people in the United States, and we have over 57 million, uh, actually just 57 million. Uh, Latinos. So uh, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And this country was founded as a melting pot. I know that I'm not a first generation American. Um, I know of one uh, and uh, personally, and that's a, a Native American Indian that I know. But other than that, we all came here at one point or another. I want to go over to Pam and talk a little bit about that experience of feeling like the other because you have brown skin and you have an accent. Yes, it's, it's something that I have to wrestle with it, um, throughout my, my time here. I don't want to forget my roots, and i also very proud to be here. And, and one day, if I ever become an, um, an, a United States citizen, I'll be very proud of this country. So, But it's always that, that question is, like, will I ever be considered a true, if you, you put that like uh, in, in quotation, a true American? Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I have an accent. I have many times that I have asked the question. So I hear an accent. Where are you from? So if, if the point gets that I become a citizen, will that question still be pertinent? Will I still get the question? Will they feel at some point I'll be really a United States citizen? Right. So yeah, it's, it's something that I wrestle with, and especially thinking about if I want to have kids and and how that would translate. Sure. And emotionally uh, feeling uh, other than or separate from people in the in the country that you hope to call home, uh, that you've done worked so hard to come to, um, or may call home. I shouldn't even say hope. I just put words into your mouth, but, but you certainly like it here. Um, that's got to be a very difficult, difficult thing to wrestle with. And we're talking, by the way, folks, to somebody who has is just about to get her third degree. She has an undergrad, a master's, and soon a law degree. This is somebody that has been contributing to the economy in, in, in the States. And, and I, I submit to you that she's not alone, that there are many other Latinos and other immigrants from other populations that are contributing just like the Duran family is contributing to our economy and to our infrastructure and, in, and, and with the intellectual capital that she brings. So, um, again, Pam, I think your, your, your viewpoint is, is very, very important. I think Sophia's viewpoint is very important. And, and, and I add Michael into that with a vested interest. And again, the purpose of the show is not a political show. It's simply what I wanted to do was have a conversation. I just don't think we talk enough about these issues and we don't look at the facts enough. I read the immigration law for the first time in my life the other day, and I was stunned at how complicated it is to understand, let alone to get into this country. It is really, really complicated. And, and you, it's complicated for you, right, Pam? Yes. And it's, and that's exactly, I agree with your point. No matter what the situation, I'm one of the stories, but there are many and thousands of stories like that and even myself, that I have done everything by the book, even after I finished law school, I still would have to figure out how I would be able to say in the right way, in the right way. And it's not uh, an easy situation. Even now that I'm learning the law and I, I, I want to pursue immigration uh, law, it's still complicated. So it's not as easy. I think we should be talking about this and just... It, make this information available to everybody. I think that's so important. I want to remind everybody, you are listening to Chapters Radio. You can be found at, we can be found at my podcast website, www.chaptersradio.com. My name's Jim Derrick, and we're having a conversation with the Duran family and Michael Derrick, and we're talking about uh, immigration and, and the Duran family's experience. Um, Sophia, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this term called chain migration. Uh, it is a term that was out of style it, it, for a long, long time. But basically what we're talking about is this notion that uh, Pam could, if she received her citizenship, uh, suddenly sponsor 
distant relatives into this country. Um, that's not the case, right, Sophia? The, 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 we don't know the future. The future is uh, you construct the future step by step, day by day. I, I don't know what is going to what is going to happen, but I think Pame is well well educated. She she's going to find uh, she's going to find a way. It depends of of her. If if depends on my another daughter. If if she's going to stay in the United States, and Baki is going to stay in the United States, maybe I would think about it, about going there. About where, well, then I will be interested in that in getting in getting the 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 visa for living there. Right. Yeah, but if not. I don't care. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and thank you, thank you for clarifying that because you know that that's a perfect example when you can uh, when you can sponsor somebody in like the Duran family who have a business and who are looking to come here because they feel not because they have to but because they they want to. That's an example of of, of immigration done right. And 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 so many of us get caught up in all this rhetoric that we forget that. Wouldn't you agree, Pam and Mike? Yes, I would agree, and especially what. Um, when my mom was saying, my sister right now is in in West Virginia also with scholarship, so we're being fortunate enough about that. But she taught us that if we at ever at some point we don't feel comfortable here or we feel discriminated, we have a place to go and we can always come back home. Mm-hmm. And, and because she taught us that we have to get have dignity and be respected, so I I appreciate that and I know I'm. I, my story is different and I'm, I'm lucky enough to have that. And, and I know that I could have a good life in Ecuador as well. Right, right, right. Um, Pam, uh, what do you think about the future? What, wh- how do you feel about your future here in, in the States, the near future, the distant future? The near and distant future. I feel hopeful. I, uh, I think that, um, that there's a, um, I know a lot of people around me, myself and the community that I have created that are good people and good values and they will move forward. I'm a little, it's, I'm optimistic, skeptical, like I'm, I'm a little caution optimistic though because I'm a little scared eh, as well. I'm realistic that this is the trend that I hopefully will change, that I'm hopefully will change, but I'm, um, I'm being cautious and I think about my children if I decide to stay here and I, I think about my, my life with them. So I am hopeful that it will change and I'm with my law degree. I want them. I want to make some changes so I can have a better future for them. Yeah, very well put. Um, Mike, how do you feel about the future um, with uh, with Pam and 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 moving forward. Well, I, I mean, I guess from uh, being an American citizen and understanding our our history as a country, um, it's sad to see it repeat itself. Uh, this is, you know, another situation where, like you discussed earlier, the concept of othering people. At one point, it was the Irish, the Polish, Jewish people, uh, and now it it we're, we've moved toward uh, Latin American uh, Muslims, uh, it's particularly people that don't look like us. So. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, I will echo Pam's cautious optimism. Um, one of the things that I think about my future that I now have to reckon with is that, you know, having uh, children in the United States and, and as Pam and I have discussed about, you know, uh, our future together and possibly starting a family is that um, it's very, very important to us that our children are, bi- are bilingual. Uh, and and what you know what that means moving forward uh, in in the United States where it's sort of the common uh, you know the common wisdom is that you you could get by with just speaking English and people aren't particularly interested in um, being bilingual uh, and so you know in terms of the future I think about yeah you think about protecting uh, your children and, and in all likelihood you know they may not look like me which is which is probably a good thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, you start to think about uh, what the implications are now that um, my kids will will truly be, uh, a, a, you know, multi, you know, ethnic uh, children. I mean, they're, they're, they would be 50 percent Ecuadorian. And I think so when you start to, you know, consider those things, um, 
I, I, I am certainly hopeful. Um, and I'm hopeful that this climate changes, uh, uh, changes pretty soon. Um, but right now it's, it's really tough to turn in the news and, and consider all those things. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think I will echo Pam's cautious optimism. Um, uh, but, but for the first time in my life, um, you know, being, uh, being different than, uh, than other people living in this country has, has really entered the forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to ask Sophia if she has any closing thoughts. Well, uh, I think the uh, United States is a country of immigrants. Also, at first, they were all white. It is, it is not the same for the, for the current times. And we, we, we don't know what the situation would be tomorrow, but it is important to be prepare for the measures the, taken by the politicians against immigration. Right. Uh, we, we are from a beautiful country, and we are proud of our country. If uh, my daughters are going to live in USA, it's okay, but they can come back when they want. Right, right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Sophia. Very, very interesting. Pam, I was wondering if there were some final words on immigration in general and your feelings and thoughts on immigration, where we are now, where we might be headed that you'd like to share with us. My my last thought and the message that I wanted to bring with, uh, coming to the, this podcast is that immigration is difficult and we need to have conversations. And an example that is me, it's not as easy as saying, go uh, get back in line. It just takes a lot more. It's more convoluted, and 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 just take get to know people and understanding that it's just it's a very difficult process. Right. So this whole get in line notion, uh, there really isn't a line when you have yeah. over three million people waiting for visas. It just it's just not that easy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's there's a, a line, but it could take like twenty or twenty one years, depending. Uh, of where country you are, there are a lot of intricacies that go in it, and so it's it's very it's very hard to understand. So, would you agree that uh, having immigration reform is probably a good idea, but it needs to be fact based and not just rhetoric and fear based? Correct, I, I agree. It does have to be reformed. There have to be some adjustments, but I don't think the rhetoric that we are listening today is very helpful for right. it. Right. I think that's really important to note. And I want to thank you uh, for being so open and coming on to this program. The hope with this show today was simply to have a conversation, to talk with people that have lived this firsthand, and to try to humanize this issue. In my opinion, there are really two things uh, in life. There's love and fear. And when we live in a state of fear, then we tend to create an other. And that is marginalizing people, people that don't deserve to be marginalized. And we're speaking to uh, three people right now that don't deserve that. I want to encourage people to have conversations like this um, with people that they may come across in their lives that uh, speak with an accent, people that don't look like you or, or possibly don't come from the same town, country, village, whatever it is. Because in having real conversations and having real relationships with people, uh, these walls tend to come down, these walls of segregation and of fear. And instead, there's a, a new empathy uh, on both sides of the equation, by the way. It's a two-way street. So I want to thank Pam Duran. I want to thank Sofia Venueza Duran, who came to us today all the way from Guayaquil, Ecuador. Thank you, Sofia. Thank you. And Mike Derrick, my son. Thank you, Deb. To close out today's program, in honor of uh, Pam Duran, I'd like to play us out with a song by a man that she describes as the Bruce Springsteen of Latin America. His name is Carlos Vives, and here he is singing with Shakira, and the name of the song is La Bicicleta. And so, for our guests, Sofia Venueza Duran, Pam Duran, and Michael Derrick, my name is Jim Derrick, saying thanks for listening to Chapters Radio, and we'll see you next week. Complicado en una visión.
Así que te llevo a todos lados Un vallenato desesperado Una cartica que yo guardo donde te escribí Que te sueñe que te quiero tanto Oye, me 